This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. I'm the king of the world! There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hi. And with Rebecca Ford. Hi. Uh, this week, inspired by uh, the biggest TV news of the season so far, uh, spoilers ahead for Succession, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this season of Succession and what it means for the drama Emmy race, which we've talked about a little bit before. Um, but before we get there, there was a little bit of news from our friends at the Golden Globes um, who've announced that they've expanded their voting membership yet again. They have now 310 voters, which... Compared to the scale of the Academy is nothing. Um, And in the press release, it says it reflects 58% diversity, which is a very strange phrase, but certainly a much more diverse voting body than we've had before. Um, We're a few months removed from the Golden Globes' surprisingly successful comeback, which we all watched. Um, They were really back in the firmament of awards season. I would imagine this move only kind of further helped cement them and prevent any further publicist revolt. Um, Do you guys also see this as a, you know, a, a small but significant step forward? I think they just have to keep expanding every year at this rate for a few years. You know, I mean, yes, we used to give it a a hard time when there were only like 70 voters in this group, but 300 is still a pretty small sample. I mean, it's exciting that, um, you know, they seem to be focused on, um, you know, diversifying the membership or the voting body. So I think it's a step in the right direction. We'll have to just see what keeps happening, you know, because... When you compare it to something like the Academy with 10,000 plus members, it it's still very, very small. That's always going to be part of the appeal of the Globes, too, right? Is the, the like we kind of want them to be a smaller, more idiosyncratic group, um, but maybe not quite as small as they used to be. Yeah, I mean, the interesting question for me is how they change as a voting body the bigger they get. Like, they've always been weird. <laughs> and, you know, on the one hand, you do have a lot of international voters as part of this group, um, which is what they should be, given the name of the voting body. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it, it is an open question as to how not necessarily influential they would be going forward as they get more spread out, um, because the Academy is also very spread out, but um, exactly how the tastes might change. Um, because they are so small, an, a notable increase means a notable, I think, change in the way that they uh, evaluate movies and shows. So it's it's interesting. We'll, we'll just have to see how it shakes out. Yeah, it's also like notable that the new voters are not members, they're voters. So yeah. they've created right. this distinction, which I think, what are the perks that a member gets versus what a voter gets? I, I think there might be more to look into that, but um, they, they seem to be making that very clear um, division between the, who they're recruiting. 
I, I doubt the voters are paid $75,000 a year. That's probably mm. it. That's probably mm. a big difference. <laughs> be a really uh, a popular job to apply for, if so. Um, I mean, I think about the Critics' Choice Awards, which I think is still a larger organization than 310. Um, yeah. That's just, I guess, on my end. Um, but when you get a group that's that big... And kind of that widespread, the, the choices can tend to kind of revert to the mean of like what the biggest award season talking points are. And I think that might be what you're saying, David, that like you might get a, a much less idiosyncratic group the larger it gets in that way. Yeah. Which, I mean, they also have a tendency to set the tone, especially when it comes to stuff like the Critics' Choice Awards. Like I think you can draw a pretty straight line from Angela Bassett winning the Globe to the Critics' Choice. So now that they are bigger, what is the new mean? Because they are the first usually. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we'll get there. Um, you know, I, that'll be our chance to talk about some of these shows we're talking about for Emmy season. So the, the wheel won't turn ever onward. So let's move on to Succession and this week's biggest episode. Again, spoilers. Um, and Richard, I just want to congratulate you at the start because you sat on the spoiler of the season by getting mm-hmm. your Succession screeners when nobody else had them. And you mm-hmm. knew that Logan Roy was going to bite it and you didn't say anything. Congratulations. I was very impressed. <laughs> I read yeah. a whole dang review of the first four episodes without <laughs> indicating that. Um, that Shiv dies in a boating accident. You know, I, <laughs> <laughs> she jumped off of Connor's wedding boat like Jennifer Coolidge on the White Lotus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They sent me a different episode. They, yeah, that's why they took the screener away. Uh, they decided to go a different route. Um, yes, I, uh, every, me and whoever else got those screeners had to sit on like the biggest episode of the whole series, I think. And I was looking at Twitter when it aired, and I was very happy that people were shocked because I think a lot of people also didn't give away that something big was happening, which could mm-hmm. then sort of get the mind, you know, churning. And I think people probably would have arrived at like, oh, I think someone dies. And if someone's going to die, it's probably Logan. Um, but yeah, it seemed to go over that episode very, very well. Yeah, I wasn't watching Twitter on Sunday night, but I think on Monday morning, we were all kind of like, wait, best episode of the season ever? Best series? Like, twist? I, like, the, the accolades were coming in pretty hot and we're still kind of riding off of the high of that. But it does... For a show in its fourth season that's been such a an awards like cultural juggernaut for so long, it's cool that they can still surprise us this much. We give Jesse Armstrong a hard time for being super secretive and like even people involved in the show have not seen the upcoming episodes, but it yeah. really pays off. So I will never criticize this method of not letting us see things early because I got to enjoy it like everyone else, you know, on Sunday. So it's he it's pretty amazing what they did with that episode. HBO Sunday nights have a power that is uh, remains unrivaled in television, which is really uh, not a small thing. So, Rebecca, we kind of put you on the job on Monday of, of answering maybe not the first question about the episode, but for those of us thinking about Emmys, which is where is Brian Cox going to show up in the Emmy race? Because I think he gave away in an interview with Vulture that there will be flashbacks. So we might see Logan again at some point. Um, and HBO had a, a very unsatisfying answer for us. Yeah, I, th- I think... Shrug is the answer we were given because the, I think they're kind of where we're at. Like if he, which it sounds like he does appear in in flashbacks and more episodes, that means he cannot go as guest. So that means we're talking about supporting, which puts him in competition with most of his, probably most of his co-stars, unless some of them move um, up to lead with Jeremy Strong, which is mm-hmm. where Jeremy was last year. So they don't have to decide yet. They have the month to kind of think it over and and I guess wait to also see more of the episodes since it sounds like internally even people have not seen what happened. So I think it's a huge question mark because this is the kind of performance that voters will want to reward. So where do you put him? You know, is he competing against a bunch of the other co-stars that 
are just as deserving of winning? Or are we talking about a supporting category that is 90% succession? (laughs) I mean, it sounds insane, but especially with all the other shows we have in drama this year. So um, I don't know. What would you guys do if you were HBO? I don't know what I would do, to be honest. I mean, it depends, right? From what I can tell, it's, it's a failure for HBO if they don't win every major drama category this year. And Yikes. So, <laughs> they do not want you to set the standard that high. <laughs> well, that is the standard. I mean, you have the, they, they just have the strongest contenders there. And so they do have the opportunity to set the table as they see fit. Uh, meaning that how they categorize succession, I think, will impact the way they categorize White Lotus uh, and their other big contenders. Um, because they really have an opportunity to have a pretty dramatic showing in the drama category. So with Brian Cox, um, you know, he's never won for this role. Which is crazy when you think about it. Yeah, Yeah. Jeremy Strong has, Matthew McFadden has, and supporting actor. Um, Kieran Culkin is not. Uh, he's having a great season. And so there Sarah is Snook just... Sarah Snook has not either. Sarah right? Snook has not. We'll get to the actresses later. But, yeah, but yeah. We'll, I'm, I'm sticking with the men for now. <laughs> okay. Um, because there's just a lot to get into with this these placements. Um, but I, I personally think that it makes sense to position Brian Cox as a supporting actor and go for a bigger win there. That's just my instinct right now. Um, because and guest sacrifice actor... sacrifice everybody else. Yes, as is you know, fitting with the theme of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Logan's last act uh, of revenge. I I don't know. I mean, it just feels like a guest actor win for him to culminate things would be a little anticlimactic. Although I think he would definitely win there. Let's not forget they gave it to Claire Foy for like one scene of The Crown when she came back in a flashback. So they've done it, um, but it doesn't usually carry the same weight. So I would like to see Brian get a a farewell win because he's, you know, it's a pretty definitive performance. Yeah, guest actors aren't even on the primetime broadcast. They're in the um, Creative Arts Emmys the week the week before. So that's a real anticlimax. I mean, there's been some conversation about Kieran moving up to uh, lead. Yes, which obviously we don't know where he goes for the rest of the season, and um, he hasn't won. So that would be in, an interesting idea. I really hope Alan Ruck makes it in with a nomination this time for supporting. I thought that scene in the second episode was so so good and. And his um, deciding to carry on with his wedding was so good. Yeah, I think they've given him a lot to work with this season. Mm-hmm. So, but that and he's would, never been nominated, right? No, never. And that would add another person. <laughs> so it's just, it sounds insane. Um, but yeah, I don't. I guess we kind of have to see where the storylines go if one of them makes sense to boost up to lead. Something that um, we talked about on Still Watching about specifically Connor on this show is that like, and I was reminding my host, Chris, my co-host, Chris Murphy, Connor's bad. (laughs) (laughs) He's had a couple nice emotional moments in the last couple episodes, but like he has horrible ambitions for himself and the country. (laughs) And we should remember that. And I do think that as the season goes, we're going to see some sort of end game for that. So if Connor ends up becoming president of the United States at the end of the season, then he has the Emmy. Alan Ruck has the Emmy. Oh my God. I mean, Justin Kirk is lo- is lingering in in the wings. Like he was in that. Um, you know, they did an extended preview of the rest of the season. You see him show back up as the uh, the fascist presidential candidate, and you're like, oh shit, he's coming back. I know, <laughs> David, you especially have your eye on Justin Kirk as the rest of the season. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. He, the indelible impression he left last season in that one episode uh, has me very eager for his yeah. return. So, do we see like 
maybe you get the three main kids going lead. You get Sarah Snook, Jeremy Strong, and Kieran Culkin all in lead. That's from what we think the shape of the season will be. That seems possible. And then poor Connor left out again in supporting, but doing just fine, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, also, just in terms of the positioning of the show, because, you know, to an extent, the Logan Kendall dynamic, there was a centrality to that that made sense for, you know, lead pushes in the early going. But obviously, mm-hmm. the end game is very weighted towards those three kids. So it does uh, jibe with the direction of the show. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Dea, at the center of a tennis triangle, and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, So we said we talk about actresses later. Um, Sarah Snook has been, let's see, she's been nominated in supporting before, but has not won. And... David, you pointed out a story to me that was in Variety where they kind of mentioned her alongside some other actresses who have gone supporting in drama but um, might see an opening this year and some interesting maneuvering happening. Well, I I actually had the thought independently before I saw Ah, that story. (laughs) I'm going to take some credit here. But, I mean, it's honestly, it is just a fact that Best Actress is uh, a lot thinner this year on its face without uh, Zendaya or Laura Linney eligible. They were kind of the top two of that category for the last few years, at least in terms of those shows' eligibility. And so you have Melanie Linsky uh, back for Yellow Jackets. She had an amazing scene in the most recent episode. Um, but then it's it's kind of a big question mark after that. You know, Bella Ramsey's great in The Last of Us, um, but I just don't know that that, you know, that is necessarily where they would honor that show. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, but where would su- they is maybe a, a broader question we can ask. Well, certainly below the line tech categories, maybe yeah. writing or directing. We'll see. I mean, Pedro, Pedro Pascal, Pascal, he's just going to get his head bashed in by the Roy's uh, <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is it's it's going to be tough for anyone to beat succession. But, you know, in supporting actress, I think you have much buzzier performances, um, which could be construed as lead if you so desire. Jennifer Coolidge, uh, there was a screen time tabulator who saw she had the most screen time in The White Lotus. It culminates in her demise. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> Sarah Snook obviously is the female lead of Succession uh, and has been, I think, you know, the real standout of this season. She's been pretty amazing. Um, and also... AMC is mulling, bumping up Ray Seahorn for Better Call Saul. Mm. Uh, she got her first nomination last year. I tragically wrongly predicted she would pull that mm. off instead of them giving it to Julia Garner for the third time, which uh, she's great in Ozark. It's no knock against her. Um, but she's not eligible, finally. So it's only for somebody right, else. she's not eligible. So, I mean, I think the default opinion is that Jennifer Coolidge would win that. I don't know that Sarah Snook would be able to beat her unless it's a true succession sweep. Um, But again, this is kind of in HBO's court, that they can Mm -hmm. determine who they run where. And I think that they will probably try to have both of those actresses win Emmys. And the question is where they will go. I think it makes a lot more sense for Sarah Snook to run and lead, but we shall see. 
Did Jennifer Coolidge staying and supporting, then you really kind of, um, you know, uh, kneecap Aubrey Plaza, um, Megan Fahey. Like, that, that, that's, again, it's a heavier female ensemble than Succession, where it's really Sarah Snook and, and J. Smith Cameron. And that's uh, that's about it uh, in terms you have to choose from. Um, that's, a, that's a tough choice. It's also wild that it's not like HBO has to wait to find out where another network is going to put their biggest competitor because their biggest competitor is their <laughs> network. It's just like it just blows my mind that they're they have to strategize against their own shows. I don't know. It's just it's a wild. They're going to have such an incredible year. They also have, you know, the hilarious comedy Barry <laughs> that, that's coming, coming out. back. Yeah. And it's also a final season. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that show has done well at the Emmys. But like there's a lot more competition in comedy that's not that's not HBO because HBO doesn't do a ton of comedy on the main network anymore. But I think, you know, Barry is premiering soon. Another one to keep an eye on. You're reviewing that this week, right, Richard? Will it be out by the time this episode airs? Um. Uh, Yes. <laughs> I, think I, I think I just saw some reviews go up, actually. Oh. Yeah, yeah. the um, embargo was today. Yeah, I haven't watched any of it, and I really don't want any spoilers, but do you have kind of a, a top-line view of um, how Barry returns? Yeah, from what I've seen, I mean, it's just, I mean, there are funny moments, but they really are sort of in, not to keep overusing this word, but like sort of in the dramatic endgame of the show, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, there's still a lot of tension about what's going to happen, but um, it's just, you know, all the actors are sort of reaching the culmination of these characters they've built over the past few seasons. And um, the work is really strong. I mean, I, I, that show, Barry, like, certainly will be off-putting to a number of Academy voters for its violence, its darkness. And like, White Lotus, Succession, these are dark shows, but not in the same way that Barry is. Barry is a pretty nihilistic show um, in some ways. So, uh, but it's, you know, again, it's done well in the past. Um, this season, from what I've seen thus far, is strong. Um, so I think that, like, you know, certainly Henry Winkler is always in the mix, certainly Bill Hader. Um, but I'd like to see some of the other actors who've been, you know, Anthony Kerrigan, um, you know, Sarah Goldberg uh, has been nominated before, right? I think yeah. she was nominated once and then didn't get it last year, even though she had such a huge showcase, which was really shocking. I think she's kind of the standout of the show. And has had to play all these different levels over the seasons. And um, this one, you know, yet again, she's her character is in a fraught state, understandably. And I would love to see her make a real run for it um, because but, you know, it's weird to talk about Sarah Goldberg competing against Quinta Brunson. I mean, these shows could not be more different. (laughs) And and yet there they are in the comedy category. Yeah. I mean, between Barry and the bear, um, you're going to have some really hilarious uh, <laughs> comedies at the top of that ticket. Uh, I, I think HBO has a real opportunity to send these shows off in a really, you know, impressive way. Um, they are intriguingly, for different reasons, holding, you know, shows like Hacks um, into next season to, I think, at least in part, leave room for these big shows that are ending uh, to give them the sort of full embrace on their way out. Um, but yeah, I think with both Barry and Succession, you have a lot of actors who have been doing great work on those respective shows for years who haven't won yet. Um, the one thing I'm really hoping for with Barry, even though there's a lot of great directing uh, across the comedy series this year, is that Bill Hader directed every episode. Sure. Uh, and his, that's kind of the most extraordinary, I think, part of his work on the show. He's proven to be a really, really remarkable filmmaker. Um, and he has won the DGA award over and over, but he's not won that Emmy. And I, I hope he gets it for this last season. Did he win an Emmy for writing, Barry? Or he I know he's won it for B, acting. He won for, yeah, I think just acting. I don't think the show has won above the line anywhere else. Barry losing a directing award seems crazy. I don't know who beat them, but 
still. Well, I, I think this year the bear totally could for the yeah. you know, yeah, single take true. episode. It's probably the front runner, but I, I do hope that Bill Hader has a shot. I'm trying to look and see because so I'm looking at HBO as we talked about could get four nominations in the drama category and the idea of all of these ongoing shows um, kind of losing in favor of the one that's outgoing. You got House of the Dragon, um, The Last of Us, and The White Lotus, all of which are going to continue onwards. Um, and I think Game of Thrones didn't win in its first season. Like I think that the tradition is kind of for slower starts for these drama winners. Um, so it kind of makes sense for them to be like, all right, House of the Dragon, we support you. We want you to win everything, but like your time will come in the future. Like I, I don't know how that um, placating happens within HBO. It sounds really difficult, but it, it would make sense strategically. And I think based on um, past precedent. Yeah. Or Last of Us for that matter. I mean, they yeah. have, they, they'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Last of Us, we've got, they've said three seasons for that one, right? And House of the Dragon uh, could go on forever, and White Lotus, God knows, like, could, go, could go on for like Survivor for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And there certainly will be more on the way. Yeah. Hi, this is Katie diving in to add that after we recorded this episode, the news broke that Beef from Netflix will be competing in the limited series category. We previously thought it was competing as a comedy. We'll talk about that more next week, but that's just some context for why we don't talk about Beef as we discuss limited series in this episode. Uh, well, we want to jump into the current TV calendar a little bit more with what's coming up. And um, I, I think I'm the only one of us who's gotten a look at the last thing he told me, which is kind of um, Apple's next big limited series play. Um, and I just think the actress in a limited series category is interesting in a different way than it has been in years past. I think we've gotten really excited when it's been the most competitive category and you've got Kate Winslet in the mix and like giant movie stars and Oscar winners. Um, and it's a little bit quieter this year. You do have an Oscar winner in Jessica Chastain, who I think we keep saying is maybe unbeatable. Um, but Jennifer Garner at the center of the last thing he told me is really good and interesting and like she's also on Party Down so like the range that she's showing on television right now um, she was such a you know a TV icon in the alias years and it's been such a long time I'd be really interested to see her back in that mix and I think if if you get her if you get Elizabeth Olsen, Jessica Chastain, uh, Riley Keough it, it, it kind of starts getting starrier I, w- I would like to see the limited series actress uh, category pick up a little bit and I think Jennifer Garner could add to that do you guys have anyone you're pulling for especially hard? I don't know that I'm rooting for stars in this category. I mean, I, mm. I did finally see uh, The English and Emily Blunt's really good in that. But, I mean, Lizzie Kaplan is a star, but I think she's so amazing and Fleischman is in trouble. Yeah. Um, that I would hope she can figure into that no matter how it, it goes. And I also just finally watched Swarm, which yeah. whatever my other thoughts on <laughs> this show, Dominique Fishback is unbelievable. And it would be a real shame if this category did not find a place for her um, because it's just such a breakout star turn. And she's been really great in supporting roles on a couple HBO projects now for a few years. Um, But this is just like an unreal showcase um, that I I would be – yeah, that's the one I'm pulling for right now. It's pretty amazing. It's not kind of – it's not the same level as this, but it – I had this sort of feeling of blonde where you're like, yes. this, this Ooh, actress yes. was put through so much. I wow. don't know how I feel about this portrayal of women, but I cannot believe what she pulled off as an actor. So, uh, yeah, a great I, comparison I, I, point. I hope Dominique uh, Fishbeck definitely is a serious part of this conversation. I'm I'm rooting for Catherine Hahn. I, I love. Yeah, t- also great. Yeah. Yeah. I love Tiny Beautiful Things. And I know she's pretty beloved by the community. So I, I, I hope that that one gets a lot of attention, too. It is fun that there is finally, you know, 
after the pandemic, some clarity about like what's Oscar eligible, what's Emmy eligible. Like Kira Knightley could be nominated for Boston Strangler, which yeah. like, you know <laughs> yeah. is just a movie, but it counts as a TV movie, and that's that's the part of this category that I think in recent years we have sort of forgotten is part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of curious if she gets nominated. I think that sort of sets a precedent of like if a movie is just streaming. Put it in the Emmy, you know. Put it in the Emmy race, you know, because it counts. Um, and so I think that would be interesting. Ditto. I mean, I'm seeing on Gold Derby that <laughs> Annette Benning is a contender for Jerry and Marge Go Large. Which, like, <laughs> I don't know if any of us remember that. I mean, but, like, Fire it, Island is still in the mix in here, eligible yeah. for this, which is yeah. bananas. But um, and Prey, the Predator movie that went straight to Hulu, which like I think everyone would thinks now they would not do that. Um, it's it's a it's a strange pandemic legacy we've got here. I've been thinking a lot about this because I, as you know, Katie, especially, I've, I'm very fascinated by the idea of this, the TV movie category, which has, has taken incredibly bizarre shapes uh, over the last few years as people, to your point, Richard, have struggled to define exactly what that is. And this year we have this interesting, um, two interesting narratives happening at the same time where you have a lot more, particularly in Hulu, clear streaming plays, TV movie plays that hadn't really existed among the streamers before because Amazon and Netflix, it's been so blurry. And then you have the Oscars pushing a really, I'm sure you guys talked about this while I was gone, uh, a really heightened theatrical requirement um, that would, I think, sharpen those divisions. Uh, And so this year you have all those movies. The one I'm really looking at, though, is Weird, the Mm -hmm. Daniel Radcliffe play, because he got a lot of awards attention for that, and the Emmys have just completely abandoned, particularly TV movie performances. I think the last one to be nominated had to have been, at least in lead, Hugh Jackman um, mm-hmm. for Bad Education. He didn't win for that. The movie he should have won an Oscar for. We say it every few months. Should have won the mm-hmm. Emmy at minimum. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Daniel Radcliffe has had a ton of attention for that performance. The movie itself got a lot of attention, so there are some litmus tests for how much the Academy is willing to embrace this space again because they'd pretty much abandoned it and started giving the award to, you know, Black Mirror episodes, Dolly Parton specials, which no shade to those things. Dolly Parton's back again. Did you know that she has another yeah, movie? I, I did. I did. I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm, I love Dolly Parton. I'm a devoted fan and I had no idea. So uh, now I got to watch it, I guess. Do- Dolly Parton versus Boston Strong. <laughs> <laughs> now I really want a Dolly Parton Black Mirror episode. <laughs> <laughs> she might do it. You never know. Never say never. Well, Daniel Radcliffe is up against Evan Peters, who I think we keep talking about as being this kind of stealth Emmy um, juggernaut. Like he won from Air of Easttown. Uh, people love Dahmer. Um, and then Taryn Edgerton also at Blackbird has been really strong, too. It's it's a strong category, actually. It does. It, I mean, if Weird wins, say, in the TV movie category, I think it'd be Roku's first Emmy. I'm going to just guess that that's Emmy win. <laughs> and in spirit, <laughs> Quibbies, because it started as a Quibby, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, what an, a wild journey <laughs> for that <laughs> movie. Well, wait, Fire Island was also a Quibby, wasn't it? Weren't there two? It was a, a once, at one point, yes. Okay. It, Fire Island was a set up at Formerly Quibi. known as Quibby Show, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, that just shows that TV movie category is so misshapen and weird. So, hey, maybe Roku's going to get their first Emmy. We'll see. I would like to think this is the last year we get of this, at least of movies that like very well could have gone into theaters. I mean, Hocus Pocus 2 is in there. I think that's been kind of a notorious like Disney miscalculation because it did so well on Disney+. Plus. Um, hopefully next year we have movies that belong on television, whatever that means, um, and kind of get away from this direct-to-streaming era because um, I think we're, we're kind of past it now, right? 
Although it would be kind of fun if like studios distributors really bifurcated it and the limited series TV movie category just became a mini Oscars. <laughs> like the junior varsity Oscars. The junior varsity Oscars. Daniel Radcliffe, congratulations on your GAV Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Well, I wanted to give you a chance, David, since you're back after a, a, a long break. Um, and there's another HBO show uh, that we haven't gotten to yet, but you've been catching up on that I think you wanted to log roll for before we wrap up. Oh, I will log roll for Perry Mason all day long, <laughs> which is not something I thought I would say a few months ago. But um, Did you watch the first season? I did. Um, I don't remember if I'd finished it at the time. I watched the last few um, just to sort of refresh as I was getting into season two. It's a pretty significant quality jump though from season one to two Hmm. and it's it's just wild to me that this is also an hbo drama that is so well done uh and such an example of i think a network really taking care of a show that had some creative issues in its first season and allowing things to percolate it's been a few years since the first season seems like it actually i was wondering when it came back and I, i started watching the screeners and i was like this is good. And I was wondering if anyone would care or whether it was just too late. And it does seem like people are, are watching and vibing with it. It's it's very steeped and it's very much steeped in film noir. And Matthew Reese is giving greatest ever sad detective performance ever committed to screen. Wow, that's a high bar. Um, we talk about the Succession company, but this show also has just an unreal supporting cast. Shea Wiggum, Hope Davis, Justin Kirk, speaking of, actually yeah. both of them speaking of Succession, <laughs> um, and, and a bunch of other great actors doing really, really great work. It's just a, it's a special show, and I, I find it very enjoyable. And it's, again, wild that this is yet another HBO drama in, in the fray. David, I reviewed the first season. So I watched the whole first season in the sort of early pandemic fugue state. I don't remember really anything about it except some gruesome stuff involving a baby. Do I need to rewatch that first season or is this second season a totally standalone thing? It's not totally standalone, mainly in terms of the characters. I mean, you are following... Um, it is serialized in that regard, but you have a fresh case. I do think it's pretty easy to jump in with some recap reading slash viewing. I watched the last ones of season one mainly because I didn't remember if I'd seen them and I still don't remember. I couldn't remember if I'd watched them. in, <laughs> Again, a, in a fugue state, early pandemic. Fugue state, early, exactly. It was just not the time for that show. Um, but I would say give it a shot to jump in fresh. I am not the person to tell you that you need to watch season one of Perry Mason uh, because there's so much TV right now. And I would say jump in with a good second season and uh, you'll you'll get your bearings pretty quickly. Want to hear how much of a fugue state I was in? I didn't review that. Sonia Soraya did. I, I was convinced I did. But I did watch the whole thing. Did any of us watch Perry Mason season one is the question. There's no, there's no way to know. You'll never find out. Um, well, we were just talking about the shakeup in the drama actor category with Brian Cox presumably not being eligible there. Do you think that uh, creates a space for Matthew Reese? 
I do. I mean, he was nominated for season one, um, which we may not remember, uh, given <laughs> the show's space in our collective imagination. And that category is a bit all over the place, too, um, because it, it really depends on how, like, Patty Considine for House of the Dragon, if he would actually get in there. Um, Jeff Bridges is, you know, circling for the old man, which I don't think is an Emmy player otherwise. Um, so it probably depends on how many Emmy voters kept up with the show. But, you know, Matthew Reese has won this category before. He's quite well liked. Does all of this chaos lead to Bob Odenkirk finally winning? Is there is it time to give up on that dream? I'm realizing I have a lot of horses in this race. I know, you really do. <laughs> I kind of hope so. I hope it wins something. Yeah. my yearly refrain. Yeah, well, the, the, the time warp of the Emmys again, where Better Call Saul ended last summer, and here we are. I mean, the bear's going to do the same thing of just reminding us what is time. Um, but it'll be really interesting to watch that, that engine kind of gear back up um, to finally give Bob Odenkirk his Emmy. That does it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week. Find us in the meantime at VanityFair.com. Find Richard on the Still Watching Podcast. I'm going to log roll that for you, Richard, um, where they're doing great weekly coverage of Succession. Um, you can find us all on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider. And on our own, I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And David. David Canfield 97. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for what we'll say about Richard if he ever joins the Hollywood Foreign Press Association goes to Richard Lawson. He has horrible ambitions for himself and the country. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. From PR.